Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald. I am a PhD trauma researcher and a life coach, and it's my goal in life to change the way that we define and understand and treat trauma. Here's why. Trauma is not actually a sign of weakness or disorder. It's a biological response born of strength. Without it, we would not survive. So I think the first step towards healing is being able to see this so that we can stop shaming ourselves for being human. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal. We bring together my research with our lived experiences so that we can all better understand and cope with trauma. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and join us. So the, the letter for today is um, about whether or not and how the body can store traumatic experience. And so we will steal the title of um, Bessel van der Kolk's book, and we can call this episode, Yes, the Body Does Keep the Score. <laughs> Dear Trauma Tapes, I realize this may be a loaded question, but I had an incident about five years ago that completely changed the course of my adult life. I woke up one day with a herniated disc directly on my sciatica nerve. It was the most physically painful experience of my life and I believe my body broke in order to set me on a path of healing. I've been jokingly saying that until I found the trauma tapes. A little background. Growing up in the 80s, there there was definite trauma. Divorced parents, dad was an alcoholic, mom had to go back to work to support us, and we were latchkey kids. I was a gifted student and athlete who excelled rapidly until I started playing up with the rich preppy girls. I was nine, nine or 10, they were 13, 14. I was an outcast from the wrong side of the tracks. I used to love my sport until it became a major source of anxiety. So I started drinking and partying. I somewhat straightened out in my 20s. I would say doing normal stuff, nothing major. Fast forward to mid 30s. I was five years into a decent relationship with my girlfriend. We were having fun and we got along great. Then the three to four year period of gaslighting started. My brother became emotionally violent towards me with fits of extreme rage. There were a few times I thought he would possibly kill me. I even called the police and professionals for advice on how to protect myself. My brother and I used to be very close. My mom and sister refused or could not see what I was experiencing. They basically told me I was ruining the family, ruining Christmas, and I needed to get over it. My boss at work, who I helped build a a million dollar business by bringing organization and structure. Well, he all of a sudden started telling me I was too corporate and I didn't understand small business. At the time, we had an employee not showing up to work, stealing and lying about everything, but yet he remained on payroll at a very high pay rate and I was the villain for suggesting we terminate him. My girlfriend also started in that I was a horrible person and too controlling. At this time, her mom became extremely overbearing and demanding, expecting my ex to fix all the problems within their dysfunctional family. I'm no stranger to tough situations, but I literally found myself in a fog and seriously thinking there was something wrong with me. I was reflecting heavily if I had lost grasp of reality. I really believed that there was something wrong with my brain something with me. I felt like I was Alice in Wonderland. Still to this day, it feels surreal. That's when I woke up with a herniated disc. I was physically incapacitated. I could not sit down for a year. I had to keep working so I would stand all day in pain, crying, and was bedridden for the rest of the time. I had massive muscle spasms deep in my buttocks that would have me screaming, crying, and begging for relief. During this time, my girlfriend refused to help around the house, would not even feed the dogs. I went down a path where my thoughts turned dark from the pain, 
gabapentin, muscle relaxer, narcotics, and alcohol. I had surgery and it was instant relief from physical pain, but that's when the emotional dam flooded and started to fall apart. I pretty much immediately broke up with my girlfriend of nine years. Found out my brother was a raging alcoholic while using pills and cocaine. Mom, sis, and I went to a few Al-Anon meetings and we were able to understand their response and we worked it out. And then the grand finale. Found out the boss and employee were having an affair, hence the financial support. I felt validated that I was not crazy, but I'm still a hot mess who was struggling to come into my own. I almost immediately fell for someone who I suspect is on the narcissism spectrum. Love bombs with extreme affection, the absolute best drug I've ever had. Then she would leave, be with someone else. I would start to date. Then she would come back. We are still doing this painful dance over and over again, three and a half years later. I have not been able to draw boundaries with her. I'm close, but I still can't seem to do it. So my questions to you are, number one, can this actually happen? Can the body manifest an injury due to trauma and stress? I know it's a stretch, but I've been in safety for years, so it's not like I picked up a box wrong. I can't think of the root cause of the injury. Number two, why can I not get rid of the love bomber? My logical mind absolutely knows it's bad news. Red flags everywhere. I get mad at myself. I think about her every day, and it is impairing me from moving forward. Number three, how do I heal? I've been in dynamic psychotherapy for four plus years, and most of the time, I feel like I never get my shit together. I hear what my psychologist says, but there is another disconnection in my mind. I hear one thing and do another. Signed, SOS, help. SOS says, P.S., I did leave that job for a better one, and I have a very healthy friendship with the ex of nine years. I just feel like I will always be on a low-level flat line. And um, yeah, that's it. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) I feel like we could talk. I mean, I was really glad to hear at the end of this letter that the letter writer is in therapy because that's critical, right? There's there, we could talk about this letter for like nine months. You know? Yeah. Yep. There's a lot there. And I say that to, to validate that you've got a lot going on and you're still being, you know, you're still productive. It sounds like you're being very critical of where you are in your process, which we can talk about, but I just kind of want to say that you've had a lot. Yeah. The fact that you're upright is a, is a win, you know? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Just before we jump in, I have a lot to say. As I'm thinking, you know, I'm, 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 the first thing that comes to my mind is mom, actually, and how um, how your body can absolutely and does do this, mm-hmm. and um, how after dad died, she had a number of um, pretty serious health concerns, in, uh, you know, yeah. in, in the two years that she lived mm-hmm. um, after his death, kind of one after another, and. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not those were underlying things that were cooking all along and, you know, they, uh, a fire was lit or mm-hmm. it was trauma. I, I just, I, I absolutely believe that this is a thing. And I believe that your body tells you exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. even when your mind can't. Totally. Um, taking notes. I mean, the, we, here's the thing I want to like stay away from. And, and so I just want to say this in the beginning and then we can just say all the science things, which is that um, you're not causing your physical pain. They're real, right? When we talk about like somatic things happening because of trauma, sometimes people get this idea that like, that means you're to blame. And I think actually, interestingly, like mom was, she, she went too far in that direction sometimes and didn't seek medical help because she was like, well, this is just grief. You know what I mean? Or this is just whatever. And it's, it's a yes. And like, yes, it's grief. 
And it's a, it's a, it's an urgent medical issue for which you should seek care, right? Like, right, right. Not just because it's psychologically like sourced doesn't mean it's not real in the body, you know? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, so I just want to say that because I just before we haven't even said anything like that yet, but just in case can the body store trauma is the first question. 100% yes. And there are really wild cases of this where people become their hormone levels get so whacked that they become infertile. Um, they cases where people are dealing with chronic pain that has no source at all that can be found within their Mm -hmm. biology. Again, it's not that the pain isn't real. It's that it's hard to treat because there's no medical intervention that can, can intervene. Um, I had an appointment with a, uh, rheumatologist because I have an autoimmune disease. And at one point, just in small conversation, he was small talk. He was saying, you know, what do you do? And I said, I'm a, I, I'm a trauma coach and a researcher and he said, I'm going to send all of my fibromyalgia patients to you because the thing I can't help them with is their past. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, and he was like, you know, sort of joking or whatever, but he also wasn't. And he was, <laughs> can I have your card kind of thing? Because um, we can deal with stuff on the medical biological level. We also need to deal with it on the psychological level. Oh yeah. So, I remember, sorry, no, um, no. going to that mind body Institute at, mm-hmm. um, was it Beth Israel at the time in Boston? And, yeah. um, you know, this was Jesus. 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah, at least. And I would say nine out of 10 people there had fibromyalgia. Yeah. And they were in horrible, horrible, debilitating pain. Right. So it's wild. Okay. So letter writer, you should go pick up this book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. He is uh, one of the premier, we talked about him all the time. I talk about him all the time. BBBK is what I call him. We're buddies. Um, (laughs) He is, uh, uh, you know, probably the most important trauma researcher in maybe since 1880, I would argue. Um, That's exaggerating a bit, but... (laughs) He wrote this book called The Body Keeps the Score in 2014. And when he did the book tour for it, he started his lecture by saying like, you know, these yoga people have been knocking on my door since 1970, telling me that the body is involved. And I kept telling them to go away because (laughs) all we need to do is fix the narrative in the story. And we, you know, trauma is a memory problem. It's not a body problem. And I was wrong. And then he did all this research about how I love it when people are humble, you know, especially big giants like that are are humble. Um, And he, so he wrote this book and did all this research about the way that the body essentially like comes along for the ride, you know, like what happens to our psyche also happens to our body. And um, the, you know, the trauma response is an overactivation of the stress response system, which is normal in all of us. And it regulates the way that stress hormones course through our body. And, um, when you have chronic stress, whether that's from trauma or stressful situations, and it sounds like for this letter writer, both are operative at the same time, you have stress hormones coursing through your body all the time. And you're essentially like marinating in them because they never go away. And that causes problems for your body, right? Mm -hmm. Those hormones are super important and necessary when you're in danger, but when you're not in danger, they erode all of your organs um, and all of the systems that normally function that affects everything. And so um, if you don't deal with that, it, it, it will just become a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. And that will pop up in any number of ways. So back pain is actually really common. Mm-hmm. In trauma survivors. Um, and there's not like a reason I have this dear friend who is a neuroscientist who's like, are you trying to tell me that the memory is in your spine or in your back or whatever? And it's like, uh, on the one hand, no, because that's too literal. And on the other hand, like, yes, 
and <laughs> that's the thing that research has been able to bear out that that the stuff when it doesn't get processed gets stuck in our bodies and so um essentially all of that is to say this is normal let me tell you one wild thing that's related to this which is this issue in neuroscience of phantom pain phantom limb syndrome do you know about this you told me it's fascinating fascinating tell it again so <laughs> I wrote like, I think a whole chapter on my dissertation of this, but um, when the, when um, people lose a limb, right. So I'm going to talk about a, a situation of like a combat veteran, just because it's easier. Um, if you're in combat and you lose a limb in combat, sometimes what happens that is a torturous thing. In addition to that torture and pain is that you continue to feel pain in the limb. That's no longer there. And that shouldn't be possible of course, because the limb is not attached to your body. And so how could you feel pain in your right arm when you don't, you no longer have a right arm. It's been amputated or whatever, you know, Yeah. and it's a neurobiological problem because they can't figure out why. And so they did some of these, some studies to figure out what was going on. And in one of them, this helps sometimes, but not always, this remains a problem. I haven't looked at the research in like two years, but this remains a problem for neuroscience. Like we still don't fully understand this and why this happens. But one of the things that, that helps sometimes is they will put your, this is hard to explain, but they'll put your, your hands in a box and the box has a mirror. So you put your left hand in the box and then you look down and it looks like your right hand is present. Right. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. And um, they'll have you clench your left fist and then release it. And Sometimes that alleviates the pain. And the reason that they think that that works is because when on impact, right, when you're in a firefight or whatever, you're bracing yourself. And so your brain has an idea of your right hand clenched and then your right hand is not a part of your body anymore. And so it can't unclench. And so this can create, the theory is that this can create pain because if you imagine, like if you clench your fist for the, for two hours, you're going to be in pain. And if you right. clench your fist for five days, you're going to be in extreme pain, right? And so the visual cue of like letting your right hand, I'm putting that in quotes because it's a mirror vision of your left hand, but of letting your, your, your right hand go releases that idea in the brain of the clenched fist and it stops the pain. Oh my God. My mind is blown. Wow. I know. And the oh. reason for that, then this actually relates to some of the other things that the letter writer is talking about is because your brain has a, is telling itself a story about your body all the time. That's how you're able to like move through time and understand space. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And God. I know what <laughs> I, I just, I, that is just mind blowing. Right. It's like the brain is like light years ahead of the body. Yeah. Or that they can just, they can fall out of alignment. Right. And that can cause all sorts of problems. Right. And so like writ large, you can think of this as like your body thinks you're in, in physical danger because you've had so much chronic like threat going on and your body does not differentiate between like, I'm going to lose my job threat and there's a lion chasing me threat. It just right. threat is threat is threat. And so it responds as if you're in physical danger. And when you're chronically in that situation, which it sounds like the letter writer is in a number of areas in their life, like you, of course, your body is going to get fried and respond by trying to take you out, you know? Yeah. Which is the, the, the other book, which I keep mentioning, and this is just because it's kind of new and I'm reading it right now is burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And they talk about, there's a whole chapter on rest. And I think like lots of people will, will relate to this when you don't rest, your body will eventually intervene and take you out mm -hmm. with a headache, with a cold, with some kind of illness, with a stomach ache, like whatever, because it needs the break. It, our bodies like actually revolt against that. And so 
That's kind of interesting. I can think of so many times that where I've done that. Oh, I got, I know. I, I, I struggle with this, like on a weekly basis, like fully. God. <laughs> what? No, I just, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much truth to it. And it's so, you know, I think of that, um, the weekend that, that you and I had the road trip where we, when we lived down South and um, how much pain I was in, you know, and I wound up at the doctor's office and it was because there were a number of things going on. Yeah in my personal life that literally came to a head that weekend. Yeah. You know, and, and it was, um, it, it's just such a uh, poignant example of, mm. yeah, you, you can't run away from this stuff. No. And it, and I, I think it's kind of cool. Like <laughs> it is, I, I suffer from it. You know, I get migraines and I, um, there's a number of things that affect whether or not I have one. And, but one of them is whether I'm, keeping myself in check in terms of like sleep and exercise and, and not fucking working all the time. Right. And that's super hard for me. And I, right. and I, and getting a migraine is like, I, I would, I, you know, I would do many things to try to make sure I never had them again. If you were like, Oh, we just need your right hand and you'll never have one again. I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, this is not a small, this is a major issue. <laughs> Yeah. And yet I have to learn the lesson repeatedly because when I think, you know, you, you hit a certain threshold and your body's like, okay, you're not going to take a rest. Now you're taking three days off. You have no choice. Yeah. yeah. And they're not going to be fun. Right. You, you are, yeah. you yeah. can't even like distract yourself with anything. You're just go to bed <laughs> like, <laughs> and you shut think, it down. <laughs> right. Right. You think I would learn the lesson, but, but it's not, it's an interesting, I, I think we need to have better relationships with our bodies, you know, like in, uh, in the whole, we are um, often, most of us, I think in like a, an abusive relationship with our own body, trying to control it and beat it up and carry it around. Like it's this thing, you know, and not honoring it and listening to it and like letting it have a say in, in what we're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, sometimes I think we have to stop thinking about it so much too. You know, like I, you know, I've also started that book burnout because you recommended it and I'm not that far into it. But the one thing that I've taken away is that you have to release the stress every single day. Yep. And, yep. you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where I don't think about that. I just do it. Yeah. You know, just like I take my vitamin D yep. every day and my yep. calcium. Like, I don't think about all the mechanics and what it's doing and blah, blah, blah. Like, this is my prescription. This yeah. is what I do. This is what I have to do every day. Yeah. I, like, ironically, you have to kind of get out of your head in order to do it, or I have to get out of my head in order to do it. Right. And just do the things and stop yes. fucking thinking about it so much. <laughs> well, because the thinking about it is a, is a form of resistance. Right. And at a certain point in the process, it's like, okay, you can gather all of the cognitive knowledge that you want about this, but if you're not fucking doing it, it's not going to help, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. Which goes actually into the the next thing, which is about the, like this love bombing, right? How do I, how do I do differently? And I think the very short answer, and I, and I mean this in the most loving way possible is because you don't want to. And let's talk about that. Cause I, I don't, don't leave us there. Right. Like, that's, I know that that might not be something that, that you want to hear, but, um, but I think that, that the, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this was, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit of joy here. Why would you give that up? Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that you don't want to, I hear that you want to, but I think on some level you need to recognize that you don't want to give it up and that mm -hmm. that's part that's creating resistance. And so in order to figure out how to move through that resistance to get to the doing the thing, which is not engaging with this person anymore, 
you have to recognize that you, you want this. It's a good, it's partially good. Right. Feels great. Right. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and love bombing. And there's tons of research about this on a neurobiological level, but I also just know anecdotally, it is unlike anything else relationally. It's the heroine of relation, like being, and that is hard to give that up, right? Being like bombed that way is, and that's, that's true in your brain. It's like a drug. Are you laughing? What is it? Cause I don't know. I've never experienced this love bombing. <laughs> I don't think, what does it mean? <laughs> it's when someone makes you the center of their universe so that they can later manipulate you. Okay. And so they I haven't had that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. <laughs> you don't want relationship heroin. <laughs> okay. Oh, you mean heroin? The dry? I thought you meant like heroin, like a superhero. <laughs> no, I mean like it's the relationship heroin. It's 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 the drug speed. Okay, got it. Because sorry, no, that's why. <laughs> It's, um, it's a huge problem because you, so this is what it, it looks like. You become the center of the person's universe. You're the most fabulous thing that ever existed. And you start to feel like elevated in this way that you've never felt before. Okay. Because it's not like normal affection where you're always like a little bit on your toes, you know what I mean? Or trying to guess or not, not taking for granted that that person like cherishes you or whatever. It's just like, full on guns blazing. You're the best thing that ever happened. And it hits your dopamine center in your brain. And it, that gives you a literal high typically. So when we talk about love bombing, it's usually used by someone to manipulate you later. So it's not real. It's not that they're, it's not that they actually feel that way. It's that this might be a pattern in their life. This is how they control people. They get you into this space where you are the center of their universe, which means you're no longer the center of your own. (laughs) And so then you become an object and you get detached from yourself and then all sorts of stuff can happen. And it's extremely hard to detach because you have to withdraw from the drug. Got it. Why would you give that up? Relationally, we need that kind of connection, right? It's counterfeit, but we, we don't think that our brain doesn't know that. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. I know it's wild. It's, and it's like, people talk about like years later being like, I still kind of want that back, you know, just like they would about like a cigarette. I still kind of want right. mommy's talking about like 30 years after quitting smoking, wanting to like knock cigarettes out of people's hands because <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Remembering how good it felt. Yeah. Right. Right. There's a, it, it you become, it's a, it's an addiction, you know, I'm yeah. not a specialist on addiction. I feel weird saying that, but I think that that's, it's, it's like that it's hard to give up because it feels so good. And I think like acknowledgement of all of that is really important when you're trying to move forward and stop the behavior, because you have to understand that you're working against your brain chemistry. So of course it's hard. Mm -hmm. This is not a failure of like motivation. This is you're working against something really difficult, you know? Yeah. And I think it makes sense. People who are, I hear about and talk about love bombing a lot with clients because people who are dealing with trauma are, are in pain relationally. And so it's even more, they're probably even more susceptible than, than other folks to get that, to need that hit, you know? So, so does the love bombers prey on people who are in that? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I can like see you running through your mind. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, so recognizing it, understanding that it's your brain. 
yeah, that this is a, that this is you're working against your brain chemistry in a certain way. And then you have to treat it like it is an addiction and you are trying to, I mean, so here's the thing. There's lots of different paths. The path can be as long or as short as you want it to be. And so I'm not going to say this is, there's, this is the one thing you have to do, but if you want to become detached from this person more quickly, I think the best way to do that is to go completely no contact and um, start a like boot camp in getting back in touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's relevant on a brain level because you've had a number of situations where you've been the subject of gaslighting. And gaslighting, what that does to your brain on a neurological level is to, I feel like I've said that like 85 times. <laughs> On a neurological level, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it, it, you become detached from the part of your brain that is responsible for knowing yourself. And so you're not on a solid foothold with who you are, which makes it really unlikely for you to be able to make your own decisions. And that's why that it's so effective. So when people are in abusive relationships or in even just unhealthy dynamics, it's really hard for them to decide to get out and stick to that decision, partly because the neural pathways that connect to that part of your brain that does that are not there. Mm-hmm. So, so getting back in touch with yourself um, is a really, really critical part of this process. Okay. Um, and you can do that in a whole bunch of different ways. I would suggest like kind of peppering your day with um, routines. Like we were talking about like taking vitamins, right. That like become just part of your routine. Right. So when you wake up in the morning, spend 15 minutes journaling about everything that's just coming to your mind and then um, make sure to actively choose three things that day that are for you and only for you engage in hobbies that you care about that get you more in this place of like solidity within yourself and this awareness of knowing that you are in charge of your own life and then relating to people who give that back to you without the bullshit. And that might mean new people, right? Like new friends, dating, that kind of thing, or people lean on people in your life who you, who can support you and who, who know you, you know? Yeah. I'm not trying to manipulate you. Right. I don't know, but that will start helping the, 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 neuro, the neurological effects of this, which will then make the decision easier and just recognize every step of the way that like, it's one day at a time, it's going to be really hard. And that's because you're dealing with a hard thing. That's not your, it's not because you're doing it wrong. It's like, it's like she knows all the things and now she just needs to do some of the things, Mm -hmm. you know, she knows all the, she's come, she's done a lot of work. She's come a long way. Yeah. She, and, um, she knows what's good for her and what's not and and why, and, um, just starting small with those little things that you talked about. Yeah. And treat it like a, like a path, right? Like it's like, it is, it's a long it's a long path. All you have to do is the next right thing. You don't have to make a decision and then never fall off the wagon as it were, you know, like, right. Um, if you spend three days in no contact and you get to know yourself a little bit better and you start to feel a little bit stronger and then you fall off and you talk to this person again, it's okay. It doesn't negate those last three days. It's maybe next time it'll be five days. And then the next time it'll be seven days, like be gentle with yourself Right. Um, because it's, it's just a day by day thing and there's no arrival point, you know? Yeah. I think some, sometimes we get stuck when we're trying to make decisions like this. Cause we feel like we have to make the decision once or for once and for all. And we don't feel like we can. Yeah. And it's, you just have to decide what you're doing today. You just have to decide to, to be with yourself today. Could you push yeah. yourself a little bit further in it? You know? 
Yeah. You need to ease into it. It can't be. Yeah. Once you start thinking about cold turkey or, uh, you know, an absolute, it becomes easy to kind of right. shut it down and not right. do it. Right. And here's the other thing. Find a methadone clinic, right? Where, where's your next joy coming from? Because you need it clearly. Right. So what, what get some joy in your life because that will help replace the, the, the hit that you're getting with a healthier thing. Right. And, and the joy know. can be like the little things. Like you gave me really good advice. One point, I can't remember what the hell was going on. Um, but you told me to make a list, just make just like five things mm-hmm. that like make you happy. And they can be like stupid. It can be watching the real housewives. It can yeah. be painting your nails. It can yeah. be, you know, taking a deep breath outside. It yeah. can be, you know, so, and I kept a list on my phone. And when I was feeling lousy or in the dumps, I would just try and do one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't have to be like read a book or, you know, right. I mean, it, it was, they were little. Right. 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 Light a candle, take a bath, you know, right. yeah. make some chicken nuggets, like some, like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, those it's, the, it's the little baby steps, you know? Yep. And imprint them as like, I am choosing this. I get to have this joy. This is just for me. I don't care who else is involved in this. Right. Right. I enjoy these chicken nuggets. Damn it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're like a family. We had this moment, this, I think it was the summer where we realized that we all like have emergency chicken nuggets in our freezers, like every single one of our siblings. Yeah. That was like a go-to like, um, you know, dinner that like you really felt good when you were by yourself and, you know, right. left to your own devices. Like, what would you do? Oh, I'll make chicken nuggets. But the, and the interesting thing is like, there was no judgment around it. It wasn't like, it was like, okay, you get a little bit of protein and a little bit of happiness. <laughs> it wasn't like, <laughs> right. it wasn't, that's what I do when I'm, when I'm super like flat out and I don't have any time and I feel like, oh shit, I'm not going to eat dinner tonight or whatever, you know, and then I'm like, no, I'm going to eat five chicken nuggets. And then like, it's not, I don't feel gross. I feel like. No, a it's a good thing. Myself. Yeah. Yeah. You check the box. Like it's, yeah. That's funny. But yeah, no, it can, it can be very small things. And every time you're doing that, like no, and maybe imprint this too, that you're, you're connecting to the part of your brain. That's, that's the joy part. You know, she said at the end, like, um, something about, will I always just be in this like low level? Like, I feel like I'm in a flat line, you're in a flat line because your brain is overwhelmed because you're Mm -hmm. toggling back and forth between all these extreme stress states. And so your brain is spent. And so you don't have capacity to thrive, you know? But the more you connect yeah. with like the part of your brain that's responsible for j- joy and connectivity, the more you'll feel that start to elevate because the less overwhelmed you'll be. It's, it's real. She's, she's done a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, she got out of the, the, the nine-year relationship. Yeah. You know, she got out of the job that was, yeah, she's done a lot. Mm-hmm. Be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think like going, just going back to that, how do I heal? I'm cause you know, she says I'm in therapy, but I, there's like a disconnect. I hear one thing and do another, bring that into therapy. If you're not right. Like don't, please don't hide things from your therapist. They will not judge you. If they do, you need a new therapist. They will not judge you. It's relevant information. Resistance right. is not something to judge. It's something to like bring into the room and be like, okay, what is this about? Why am I resisting this? I was just doing that this morning with something and I can't remember what it was. Otherwise I'd give you my own example. Cause we all do it. But I, I think just have the goal in mind of getting into alignment with yourself, which it sounds like you already do. And just recognize that this is a healing path, you know? 
Take yep. it one one step at a time, one day at a time, one minute at a time. And look back on how far you've come. Right. Because you've done a lot and this has been hard. There's addiction, there's, you know, neglect, it sounds like there's gaslighting, there's it's a lot. Okay. Okay. I think that's all I have. Good luck. Keep us posted. Do you have tiny little joys? I do. Okay. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yes. Speaking of them, because this is what we're talking about. Tiny having a tiny little joy practice can change your outlook. So this could be, this could be the one thing you decide to do to change, start to change. Okay. I see, I have it. I have a handful. I'm going to go with the the simplest one. So (laughs) have you ever seen those like um, squeegees that you hang in the shower? Yes. Like (laughs) to use on the shower door. Yeah. Uh, When we moved into this house, there was no shower door. It was like open, which like I see in a lot of like design and real estate stuff, which is fine if you're in the Caribbean, but (laughs) if you're not in the Caribbean, you need to have a shower door as far as or curtain or something Something. or else all the water is going to get blown all over the bathroom (laughs) and all your like wonderful hot steam is going to escape. Like it's archaic. I'm sorry. Unless you're in the Caribbean to (laughs) not have a shower covering of some sort. So when we had the shower door installed, the guy said to me, you know, this is what you do to clean it. But the best thing you can do is just use the squeegee every single day. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't like the way it looks. I don't want to hang it on the wall. You know, it's kind of duh, 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 duh. So I hesitated for a while, but I recently got one. And um, I have to tell you, it's like making your bed, like doing that every single morning uh, is such like a, a like positive way for me to start the day. Cause I okay. feel like, Oh, I already accomplished something and I haven't even gotten out of the shower yet. Like yeah. I cleaned something already Yeah, because we're also like, most of us are in our homes all the time and we're noticing like the dust bunnies and the windows yeah. and everything that needs to be cleaned. And mm-hmm. I feel like getting ahead of that every single morning with the shower squeegee mm-hmm. feels like a little bit of an accomplishment. Yep. I love that. And the visual of that seems very like satisfying of like, you've got all this like stuff on the, on, you know, the, 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 like water droplets. And then it's just like, and they're gone. Yeah. And it makes a very satisfying noise. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So I highly recommend it. (laughs) I love that. See, like it can be that small, you know? It is. It's it's just like, and now it's something that I have to do because it just gives me that little bit of like a rush. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me because I've been thinking of like, people are just like, myself included, like this, is, this shit has been going on for too long. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I used to live in Worcester, which is like the snow belt of Massachusetts for whatever the fuck reason, who knows why. But there was this, <laughs> this one winter where the snow literally started coming. Like it was like halfway the, the windows in the house, like the, the, in the wall, not the door snow was coming up to the windows and it was like covering half of the windows. And you're just like, this is it's, it, you start to feel like, Oh shit. Like if it, w- what if it actually never stops snowing? Like, right. And this becomes, we're like trapped in this like you know. igloo. Right. And it was a, like, I remember kind of laughing at myself because I was feeling like actively claustrophobic, which I do not ever feel. And I was like, this is like, it's snow. Like, I know it's going to melt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's not going to actually overtake this two-story house. Like, what is my, you know, but it was funny. And I think like, we're at the point in the pandemic where it's starting to feel like it's just coming in. You know, we've had these, I think for the most part, people have been able to like not the, I don't know. I don't want to generalize like that, but 
I have felt like, okay, I have this cozy little space. I can, I can mind this little space and just stay here and that's okay. And the outside world is where the scary stuff is, but it's starting to like encroach. And I think these practices of like exerting control, right. In, in your, in your living space are so important because they restore your like feeling of like, okay, I'm actually an agent in the world. You know what I mean? I have some kind of control over something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, and in a positive way, instead of a critical way. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of the stuff out there now is like, you know, you have to redo your office space and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you're spending so much time in your home. No, yeah. you know, how about I just clean the goddamn shower door every morning? <laughs> you know, that's good enough for me. Yep. Yep. That's it. You know, right. Right. <laughs> in a rewarding way, not a punitive way. Totally. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) That's a good one. Thanks. Okay. Mine is um, kind of funny and it's actually related to the stress cycle stuff. So I started doing the class. Have you heard of this? No. What is that? I don't know, man. It's, (laughs) it's, I need to look into it because I just started it because I kept seeing it and being like, okay, I need to try this. It's, it's a New York thing, but it's on, it's available online and it's Taryn Toomey. And she does this, the, it's an exercise class, but it's, it's sort of like, there's a spiritual aspect because a lot of it is about moving your body and and giving yourself permission in, in movement in a way that is not present in most modalities. Okay. So instead of like shouting at you to be like, do these 20 burpees or whatever the hell you do a lot of like shaking and like flapping and jumping up and down and kind of like getting, like taking up space (laughs) and which is totally up my alley, but also (laughs) you are a flapper. (laughs) I always have been. I came out that way. (laughs) I always have been. Um, the, a lot of the, the language is, and you can do the class. I mean, the, you can do it for 60 minutes or 20 minutes or 30, you know, there's all these different things. And, but the language is really fascinating to me because a lot of it is about literally giving yourself permission to take up space Ah. and to move and also to not move. If you Mm -hmm. don't want to do burpees, you lay on your mat, you do something else. You like, you know, cause I hate burpees. No, I'm not doing those, Mm -hmm. but, um, doing jumping jacks and, and having someone say, it's okay to take up space. It's okay to make noise. If you want to, it's okay to stop. And then between every exercise, you put your hand on your body, one hand on your navel and one hand on your heart, and you just ground. Oh, wow. Just for like 30 seconds or whatever. And then you start again. And so you feel yourself, you feel your heart rate come up and then come back down. And then at the end of class, you do a heart opener and you just kind of like, again, you like flap your hands, (laughs) your arms out. and, And it just, it's just. I love the, I'm fascinated and very taken by the language. And I love the opportunity for even 20 minutes to just like jump up and down and take up space and not think about, am I doing this right? Or like, is anybody going to see or hear me or like, you know, all of that bullshit. It's just, right. It's super um, energizing and just no judgment. Yeah. No self-judgment. Totally. And people yeah. talk about having these like really insane experiences where they, something releases and they're on their mat crying yeah, and feeling like sort of held in that space. Um, it might be a cult. We'll see, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I like it. I'm really getting a kick out of it. I'll come rescue you. It's a cult. <laughs> I'll get you out of it. I'll kick some ass, take some names. 
No, it sounds fascinating. I love the idea that you check in with your body after periodically to see how it feels. Totally. You know, totally. And just that practice of giving yourself permission to be right. And to, to, to tend to what, what's whatever's coming up. And instead of judging, like how many classes have you been in where you're like, you know, oh my God, I can't, you know, stand on my head or like whatever the fuck someone else can do better than you. You know what I mean? It's so completely counter to that. You yeah. end to your own experience, which is, I think, critical, you know? Was it happening before the pandemic or was it, did it come out? Of the it was, pandemic? but I think only in person. Oh, really? It's on, I don't know, actually. Um, but I had, I had heard about, there've been some like long form articles about it because of this mix of like spirituality and um, uh, I've, yeah. Cause I would think it would be like pandemic perfect and that it you is. could do it in the comfort of your own home. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It is. I I've heard her name before. I'll need to, I need to look into it. Yeah. There's a free, you can do a free 14 day trial on the thing and that's cool. It's just, yeah, it's just neat. I'm really just giving yourself permission to like be to flap, to flap. I do that already. So I was going to say that, but I just, I do that. Already. I do that all the time. I'm always like, blah, blah, blah. you are. <laughs> it completes the stress cycle. It does. I love that. I love that idea. I love that. I know theory. I think it's fascinating. I know it's huge. If, if you want more reading after burnout, check out Peter Levine's book, waking the tiger. Okay. 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 All right. That's it. Thanks all. Um, please subscribe and rate and find us on Instagram and our website and keep writing us letters because we, we want to keep doing this. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.